Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alleycats podcast. For come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Bouncesort. And back on the horse we go, ladies and gentlemen. Trying to flush last week pretty much in its entirety right down the drain, and then try to do what we can this week and still try to work your way to the grander goal of going down to Arlington. But that starts this week, and although the team has you know their backs to the wall in terms of that dream, they performed a little bit better last year when they had their backs to the wall. So the first step is up against the Texas Tech Red Raiders, who just from the very top, very much a better team than Oklahoma State was. Just on top. Uh, We don't have any of last year's stats because, unfortunately, that got deleted in the process of moving everything over from one computer to another. But we still have this year's schedule, which I'll cover the schedule as well as their record. They're currently a 3-3 team, 2-1 in conference. They started off pretty cold uh, at Wyoming, losing in double overtime 35-33, then losing to Oregon 32-38 before beating Tarleton State 41-3. Then opening their conference slate with a loss to West Virginia, thirty uh, or twenty to thirteen. That's where Tyler Shuck ended up getting hurt, and then beating Houston and Baylor by scores of four and nine, and then forty nine to twenty eight, and then thirty nine to fourteen, respectively. It is worth noting that Houston was two and two at the time, and Baylor was two and three. So, you could argue that Texas Tech has yet to face the heavy hitters of this conference. But then again, do we know if there are any heavy hitters in this conference anymore? (laughs) Yeah, this year it's not really seeming like there's really a true heavy hitter. I I think I agree with you. And then, of course, that Houston game, Tech does end up winning pretty comfortably, but the first half was pretty rough for them. That was tied uh, 28-28 at half uh, with a not very good Houston team. So, uh, But they were able to pull away in the second half. And... I don't know, there's a lot to like about this team, but they've certainly started the season low and they've been on a bit of an upward trend as of late. That remains to be seen if that's going to continue or if it's going to be a hills and valleys up and down type of year. Yeah, which K-State and Texas Tech are sort of similar in that they both had big expectations coming into the year, now find themselves unranked. So, you know, this is a... Very much a pendulum game for both squads, so I really expect a bunch of haymakers to be thrown in this game from top to bottom. But, Connor, you have the top half of this little sheet here, which is just their offensive stats. Yep, so right now they are they have 1,073 rushing yards on the year, averaging just under 5 yards per carry at 4.9. Uh, and passing, they're 1,317 total yards at 6.3 yards per attempt and they have 15 touchdowns through the air to six interceptions and then eight rushing touchdowns as well uh their offensive yards per play as well at 5.6 and their third down percentage is at 42.22 so not bad yeah not bad they're actually surprisingly balanced for a texas tech squad that i think for basically the duration of my lifetime (laughs) has been a nearly pure air raid team. <laughs> yeah, this is not the Texas Tech of old. This is not the yeah, Texas Tech of the late 2000s through the uh, 20-teens. Uh, this, is, this is definitely a new rebranded uh, 
identity for Texas Tech. Yeah. Their defensive stats, they're allowing third down conversions 40.86% of the time, which isn't great, but it's not horrid. Uh, averaging 34.17 points per game on offense, or averaging 23 per game on defense, 205 points for, 138 against. Turnover differential of plus two. They've gotten 14 sacks on the year. Now, this is the really important one. <laughs> Their red zone defense is really stingy. <laughs> only giving up a touchdown 47.6% of the time and a score 85.7% of the time. Other side of the ball, they're not great. (laughs) Only getting a touchdown 66% of the time and 85.1% of the time scoring. So it sounds like they're a team that is going to miss and make you miss on red zone opportunities. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that, that line is the hallmark of a bend, don't break. Uh, defense, uh, at least on its face. And uh, Tech, this is, again, another way that they're not like the Tech of old uh, in that their defense is absolutely conscious. <laughs> and because if you're around my age, you've never known Texas Tech to have even a good or an average defense. You've always known them to be a horrid defense that just gets caught up in shootouts all the time. But this defense is decent uh, they finally strung together some decent defensive coordinator hires uh, a few times in a row uh, to their credit yep and before we get into the official scouting report i say official like we're any sort of official authority on this subject here's a quick word from today's sponsor And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats, where we're here to give to you the scouting report for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Uh, Connor, you have the personnel and play calling for this, well, new look Red Raider team. Yeah, and you know, despite them being different in terms of what they're wanting to accomplish on offense, they're going to look pretty similar to how they've always been. Uh, They run a lot of 11 and 10 personnel, so they want a lot of receivers out there, and uh, they'll often play without a tight end. So there's not, uh, it it doesn't look different, but the results are still different. But another way they look similar is that they still want to be fast, and they still want to run a lot of plays. Uh, But despite that, their run-pass split is a near 50-50, so they're... It's truly a coin flip on if they're going to pass or run, uh, which is a far cry from what they've been in the past, of course. Uh, and then in the passing game, they're very fond of switch releases, uh, and they also like the deep ball alongside with their RPO game. Yeah. And then in terms of the running game, it's a very much spread, like it's a very much a modern spread running game with one major wrinkle. If you remember last year, they made the adjustment basically in the middle of the game to start, you know, basically doing runs that intentionally sucked us into the backfield, basically a bunch of trap runs and different counters and stuff to abuse the fact that we were playing fast. That is their running game now. (laughs) Uh, Their entire run scheme is based off of kickout blocks and punishing getting upfield too early. So that naturally has your, uh, your GT counter, which still gross. But uh, also G tight end counters, which are part of the game. Uh, dart runs, which is your normal 
running back, halfback power that you're used to seeing, but instead of the guard pulling around, it's the tackle. And then on much rarer occasions, they do inside and outside zone. But really, it is based a lot off of those trap and counter runs where they're going to try and force the defensive line into bad positions. And that's actually a complementary style to their to their running back, which we'll talk about in a minute. But they're running play actions on 21.45% of their dropbacks, screens on 14.65% of dropbacks, both of which are roughly average for college offenses, especially given ones that really like the RPO game. Uh, motion isn't the biggest part of their game, largely because they just want to go fast. Like, they want to be a NASCAR offense most of the time. But when they do motion, it's across the formation, and that person is going on a wheel route. I think almost every single time that I saw one of their players go in motion across the formation, they hadn't finished their motion yet, and the snap was called for them to immediately start running into a wheel route. If you've watched the NFL, it's exactly what Mike McDaniel's been doing with Tyreek Hill ever since he got in Miami. And if you've watched that, you know that when you have people with speed and or size, you know that it is very dangerous if you're not paying attention and if you're not following the motion. So, Connor, you're used to me saying ignore the motion. Uh, I'm not going to be saying that this week. (laughs) But that is their offensive scheme. Connor, you have the person that I apparently keep calling by the incorrect name because I keep calling him Brock. <laughs> yeah, so right now, Texas Tech's quarterback is Baron Morton. Uh, Tyler Shuck started the year as their starting QB, but unfortunately he's been injured. Uh, this is not the first time, so Baron Morton does have some experience uh, so far. But he uh, still is a young player. He I, He's either a redshirt freshman or a true sophomore. And uh, he's a... Interesting quarterback. Uh, he has a, as Ace describes it, a nuclear weapon for an arm. And uh, he throws at a very unusual arm angle as well. I think he's trying to do a Patrick Mahomes impression uh, where he is kind of throwing almost sidearm in some ways, but it kind of looks like how a shortstop will throw most of the time, uh, which is kind of a good way to describe him. Uh, which his arm is very physically gifted, uh, but right now he is uh, still not 100% there, despite him being able to make some incredible throws uh, at times off-platform and just throws that there's not very much that you can do about. Uh, But he's um, not unathletic as well. He's a fairly okay runner, but he's not a true dual threat, uh, which if you had to put him on a scale of, key to, of quarterbacks that we've seen, he's definitely more mobile than Alan Bowen, but he's definitely less mobile than Brady Cook, uh, which he's good in the pocket, um, and if a pocket is, uh, um, even if it's clean, he's willing to abandon it pretty early, uh, but again, with the incredible arm and youth, um, very commonly that is paired with accuracy issues, and uh, that remains true. And it's that accuracy is just not great. Uh, you see so many young quarterbacks uh, like that where their arm talent is so obvious, but they just haven't been able to put everything together, and 
uh, the completion percentage up, uh, which uh, he's, again, a very quality quarterback, a good quarterback. It's just that he is still not convincing in terms of getting the ball to people, at least not on a consistent basis, um, which, yeah, and he can sometimes still make those incredible off-platform crazy throws, but the at times it feels kind of like a lucky pass than true talent and that's a kind of subjective i guess but at the same it, it brings true still that there's there's similarities there with many other great arms that make their way out of high school that have so much talent but just aren't quite there yet uh like a lesser version of quinn ewers even just having a unbelievable amounts of arm talent but in his younger years just not really knowing what to do with it yet yeah not really being refined enough to truly be a threat a threatening quarterback but clearly having the potential to be a really good quarterback yeah and that kind of can he's also really aggressive which most big arm young quarterbacks tend to be uh but he's like i said it's not particularly accurate if you look at it as a spread charts his ability to throw deep uh he has attempted 17 deep throws he's completed three of them uh and then even intermediate he's fine like he's not the worst quarterback in the world he's attempted a total of 26 of those uh completing a total of 15 of them but uh, he's very much an aggressive quarterback where if it's not a screen, he's looking for the big play, which when we talk about the receivers will begin to make a lot of sense. Um, But it's also worth noting that when it comes to how he deals with pressure, uh, no, (laughs) he, no, he's not good under pressure. His PFF grade goes from uh, 69.2 when he's kept clean and a 37.2 when he's under pressure and he's under pressure 24% of the time. So, you know, take that information for what you will, (laughs) but I'll take the running back and probably the first two receivers since there's four and, you know, we actually have something to say about the tight end this time, (laughs) but Taj Brooks is a longtime staple of this team. And he's gotten better and better every single year. Uh, the b- most notable thing with Taj Brooks, and I've sort of started calling him Bounce House Brooks for this exact reason, he literally looks like he's on a bounce house whenever he is running the ball because he's just hopping. Like, he refuses to sit still even while waiting for the blocks to develop. And because he's hopping through it, he's never losing any of that momentum. So he's able to get to his speed very quickly. Um, And it also really helps his vision because he's able to keep his momentum while still waiting for blocks to develop. Uh, In terms of speed, he has some solid but not ungodly speed at the position. Uh, He's a home run threat in that he can get like 25, 30 to 40. I don't think he's necessarily the biggest threat to, you know, he touches the ball. He There's a good chance he houses it on every single touch. Uh, his best trait, though, is creating bad angles and then just difficult tackles by throttling his speed up and down. Uh, he will slow down to make you think you have the angle when you, in fact, do not have the angle. 
uh, which is my favorite type of running back to watch because they just create so many funny highlights. And, of course, because he's a Texas Tech running back, he can catch the football pretty well. In terms of where he's rushing the ball, he's mostly running uh, to the outside edges, the uh, left and right edges, 26 and 25 attempts, respectively. And he's averaging a lot more in terms of outside runs than he is just about anywhere else, Uh, which, again, just sort of speaks to how this team wants to run. They want to run a lot of those sort of counter runs where you get to those outside edges. And again, the fact that he bounces is really beneficial to that fact because if you try to catch him from behind, you're not going to catch his ankles because he's too high in the air. <laughs> but yeah, so he's really solid back. He's honestly making a convincing argument to be one of like the top three backs in the Big 12. Honestly, maybe even pressing for, like, number two. Um, So, yeah, really good back, and I think that's part of the reason, alongside Baron Morton allegedly having a shoulder injury, which I learned about earlier today. (laughs) Um, That's probably a good reason why they're focusing on the running game so much. But in terms of receivers, there's four names to know because, of course, it's Texas Tech. You have to have more than the three. Uh, You have Jaron Bradley, number 9, Miles Price, number 1, Dre McCray, number 10, and then Xavier White, number 14. Jaron Bradley is, I believe, their leading receiver, or at least their most dangerous one. You wouldn't know that by looking at his PFF grades. Um, Wow. (laughs) Um, Tracking and contested catches, that's his game. Like, he's very much a someone who doesn't get distracted by corners being in his like in his personal space while looking for the ball. Uh, and he's developed the ability to work back to the ball as well, which has made him even better at his general skill set. His biggest problem is that he's just not the greatest separator uh, in terms of his route running, but it almost doesn't matter because he's quick enough to make it work uh, and he's big enough to where like he's just, like he'll just bully you. Uh, his biggest thing, though, is that he doesn't have the most consistent pair of hands. As a At least an intermediate game, he has a drop percentage of 27.3, but also a contested catch percentage of 75%. So, uh, real home run hitter there. But yeah, um, really solid guy who you have to look out for, 6'5", 220. You have to look out for Jaron Bradley. And then Miles Price, who I noted last year was the annoying guy who was always open. He's still the annoying guy who was always open. Uh, he's the steady Eddie of the group. Others would describe him as a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. His best trade is, like I said, just his ability to get open. Whether it be in zone or man, he's just crafty enough to get himself into that position to catch the pass. He's also their punt returner. Uh, if I were to come up for with a comp for him, Philip Brooks, a more physically gifted and taller Philip Brooks, would honestly be a beautiful comp for him, uh, because punt returner somehow finds a way to be like a security blanket on third down, no matter what, um, but no like one standout trait, he's just a good, reliable security blanket, that's Miles Price. But you're also going to get really annoyed with Miles Price because he's always going to be open. 
Um, in terms of his receiving depth, I imagine he's done just about everything, which he has. Uh, deep and intermediate is where he makes his money. Um, he also sort of has a drop problem, though. Intermediate, 28.6 in the intermediate game, 8.3 in the short game. Uh, he's also rocking a 100% contested catch rate and an ridiculously good PFF grades outside the numbers everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, he just... He just gets open, and it's mad annoying. Connor, you have the the other two receivers, as well as their technical tight end two, but the bigger threat of the two, and I mean that literally. Yep, so up next we have Dre McCray, uh, 5'9", 185, so pretty similar size to uh, uh, Miles Price. I keep wanting to call him Miles Purchase. I keep <laughs> wanting to call him Miles Prince. Who's that? I don't know. <laughs> But that's all I got. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, McCray, uh, he's a transfer in from Austin P. Uh, played 727 snaps there uh, last year, had an 82.5 PFF grade there. And he's taken a step back in his PFF grade this year, but that's probably to be expected. Uh, McCray is the lead kick returner uh, and gadget guy for Texas Tech. And that is mainly what he is, which is a gadget guy. Uh, his speed and agility, he. Is incredibly physically gifted, uh, but that's about where that stops. And he's still a, a solid player. Uh, he lives in the intermediate. At least that's where he's most effective, uh, especially intermediate, middle, and right. Uh, again, the sample size is a little small. Uh, his target share is not huge. Um, but uh, regardless, he still does have uh, solid numbers, uh both 84 plus an intermediate center and intermediate right uh so not a ton to complain about but he could still develop a little bit more than he has uh and then his uh um he hasn't dropped a pass yet uh this season hopefully that starts soon but be cool he uh is a gadget guy and they're they're gonna find unique uses for him yep as texas tech tends to do and last, we have Xavier White, uh, six foot one ninety five. Uh, he's been at Texas Tech. Um, this is his fifth year. Um, he's been playing a decent amount uh, since he was a true freshman, all the way back in twenty nineteen. And uh, um, now this year, he's having a, a solid year, not a career year by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been decent enough. Uh, he's agile and quick. And he is consistently going to run decent routes. Uh, and his curls and switches are uh, especially snappy as well. Uh, and he's a big threat in the screen game. Uh, and he sometimes even looks like a running back with how he's able to break arm tackles. Uh, which uh, makes him, a, again, another really good weapon. But uh, he lives um, mainly in the short game, which again speaks to him. Um, being a screen guy, uh, but he also is pretty effective in the intermediate still, although in a smaller sample size. Like he's got 11 targets and 11 receptions in the uh, short game, so there's a lot to like about him there. And uh, he's mostly getting uh, uh, his short receptions right over the middle, uh, so that indicates a lot of drags as well. Uh, but then he's also got. Uh, six targets outside the numbers uh, in total, uh, and he's caught all of them, and he generally is not going to lose yards. 
in that respect. Um, he's been he's been a good receiver. He doesn't have any touchdowns yet this year, uh, but uh, he's best in the middle of the field uh, within 20 yards. But he's also still a good screen guy. So we have to not be afraid to play close to him, even though he could get over the middle and burn us like that. Uh, we're going to have to identify, like, the main part of his game is going to be the screen game. Yep. Uh, well, now we got the big boy. <laughs> yep, we have next um, their tight end fullback thing, Baylor Cup, uh, number 88. He's six foot six, 260 pounds. He is a gigantic person. Uh, he is athletic for his size especially, and there's a lot to like about him. Other than even beyond the fact that it's very funny that every time that Tech plays Baylor, there's a Baylor versus Baylor war. Yeah. But he's, again, a, a big dude. He started his career at Texas A&M. He's been at Tech for the last two years now. Uh, and he is gigantic. Uh, he plays up to his size uh, as well. So he he's not a... a Looks like Tarzan plays like Jane, uh, sort of situation. Uh, but if the ball is put on the top shelf near him, there's a pretty decent chance that he uh, is going to make you look silly. It's just a kind of thing where sometimes part of being a good tight end is just not being guardable, and that that is part of Baylor Cup's game for sure. Uh, but despite that, he doesn't have a ton of targets this year. Only five. Uh, which is a little bit surprising given his uh, talent and uh, size, but he's mostly working in the short game. Uh, four of his five targets have been uh, within 10 yards. Uh, he's technically best on outside left, but that's a difference of one reception yeah. <laughs> with uh, um, over the middle within 10 yards. So... Uh, not a ton that we can draw from his receiving depth, um, given that just not a lot has really happened there. Um, although he does um, have a good uh, grade for outside or for um, deep right, um, it's only a single catch as well. Uh, but all in all, he's a good tight end. He's just gigantic. And <laughs> he's just a big man. And I, the reason why we put him over Mason Tharp, uh, think Tharp may be hurt. Uh, he may be back this week, but Tharp is also a massive human being. I just think that Baylor Cup is the better athlete yeah. of the two. Yeah, and Tharp's PFF height is actually incorrect. Uh, ESPN lists him at 6'9". Yeah, he's 6'9". Yeah, and he looks every bit of it on the field as well. Yeah, he's just straight up a basketball player. Like it, it's Jimmy Graham again. Yeah. <laughs> now I get to talk about their offensive line, which we've been very complimentary of Tech uh, throughout this. Uh, this is sort of where that ends. Uh, the, starting with their left tackle, I'll take the left side of the line, the center. Uh, starting with the left tackle, it's Monroe Mills. Uh, he was the right tackle last year. Uh, he's still very grabby. <laughs> But he also, something I didn't notice last year, he has ridiculously long, like unnaturally long arms for his size. I mean, he's 6'6", 315, so you kind of expect him to have long arms, but it, it even sort of exceeds what 
I expected. But despite this, every single person on this line, but especially the tackles, just stand straight up every single rep, and it's really frustrating. Uh, actually, I, th- I, I will like it this week, but every other week I don't like it at all. Uh, he looks downright uncomfortable when pass blocking. He just seems to get in people's way more than actually blocking them, which not what you want, uh, especially at blindside tackle. I don't think he's really faced any major challenges. The closest one that I think he would have is probably West Virginia because Baylor doesn't really have that star edge player right now. They're sort of still figuring that out. And he graded out all right against West Virginia, but he graded out really poorly against Oregon. I would say K-State's better than West Virginia and worse than Oregon in terms of pass rush. But yeah, I... Monroe Mills is not a particularly great pass-blocking left tackle. And uh, the entirety of the offensive line, I forgot to mention this, uh, the offensive line is giving up pressure on 26% of dropbacks, which is god-awful. And they've allowed 14 sacks on the year. And the entire line just doesn't generate much in the way of push, which, weirdly enough, them being bad at that may actually benefit their RPO game because they don't get downfield. But uh, it's also worth noting Monroe Mills has four penalties on the year. Three of those came against Oregon. So, yep. Next up is their left guard, Cole Spencer, 6'4", 300, who spent seemingly an eternity at a Western Kentucky before sitting a year and then transferring to Tech. He's graded out pretty well. Um, he just blocks pass plays like runs, though, which is so strange to see. Uh, he just wants to move the body away from the line laterally before anything else. Which luckily, it's luckily for him, it's laterally, so it's not an illegal man downfield penalty. But he also just looks really uncomfortable when he's pulling and his angles are all sorts of wrong. Which makes me think that he has a pass as a tackle. Uh, because he's just not a very natural puller. And the size would also make sense with him being 6'4". Uh, he has two penalties on the year. He graded out marvelously against West Virginia. But other than that, he's been above average, 72 offense, 78.1 pass block, 72.5 run block. So he's a solid, if a tiny bit unremarkable guard. And then Rusty Stats, who belongs on the all-name team. <laughs> um, he's also a Western Kentucky transfer. So they just have two of the Western Kentucky lines here, which makes sense given that Western Kentucky is an air raid team. He's also a weird fit at center uh, because he's 6'5", 320. <laughs> and I also think he probably has a background at tackle because he goes into his pass sets like he's an offensive tackle uh, because he's kick-stepping instead of getting in the nose tackle's face, which that's sort of a big no-no <laughs> when you're going up against a big nose tackle. You want to get to them before they hit you because you don't really have to worry about your outside as much. Um please Uso, but uh, he's not been penalized on the year. He's graded, he's graded out to be an average center. Uh, 59.2 offense, 62.8 pass block, and then a 55.8 in the run blocking game. Notably had a god-awful game against Oregon in the pass protection, which Oregon runs a lot of stunts as well as has a large nose tackle. I wonder if that is why he had a bad pass blocking grade. I don't know why I'm posing this as a hypothetical. I know that's why he did. But 
the left side and center of the offensive line aren't great. Uh, in fact, I would say that they're below average. Uh, Connor, you have the right side, which is not much better. <laughs> yep, so a right guard, number 56, is Dennis Wilburn, uh, 6'3", 325. Uh, and again, he's, well, he's, for, for, first of all, he's not a Western Kentucky transfer. Uh, he's been a tech uh, for his whole career, which hasn't been too long. He's only in his second year, uh, at least playing. Uh, but he's okay. He His PFF grade is just ever so slightly above average, and he's a little above average in the pass block and a little below average in the run block, uh, which ultimately takes him to 61.3 overall, uh, which last year he was their center, um, but he probably outmoved at guard because of a lack of athletic upside. Uh, and when you watch him, you can tell that he's used to being the guy that is passing off the stunts, uh, which is not good right now <laughs> for his uh, ability to <laughs> pass block because uh, he is not very good at picking up a stunt because he's just so used to passing them off to the guards. And I think he keeps forgetting that he is now a guard. And... Uh, he, he, he's going to have to figure that out if he wants to have a successful year. Um, he has been a little bit more consistent the last two weeks, uh, but regardless, he still hasn't been... He, he needs to really put together a, a good pattern of success. Also didn't play against Oregon. That he did not. Did not play against Oregon. Yep. Also no penalties on the air, but... Yeah, that's pretty pretty clean, pretty unusual for an offensive lineman, I think. Good for uh, through you, Dennis. Uh, five games, I guess. Yeah. Good for you, Dennis. Yeah. And then uh, at right tackle, you have number 76, Caleb Rogers, 6'5, 310 pounds. Uh, last year, he was their left tackle. Uh, now he's their right. And uh, he hasn't really gotten a whole lot better uh, in pass protection at all. Uh, he's still not very good at defending himself against a push pull. Uh, he cannot ref- defend his outside shoulders still. And uh, if outside pressure comes from the slot, uh, there's nothing he will be doing about that. Uh, which, maybe it's a left shoulder thing for him because uh, he's now especially bad at defending the inside. Uh, and he's just not laterally very quick. You may be asking where the positives are. That's it. Those are all the notes. So there's not really a whole lot of positives to say. Uh, He grades out fine. uh, Probably a little overrated, if anything, from his grades. Uh, He's just not great as a tackle. He hasn't been. Texas Tech continues to not be able to find or develop tackle talent at all. So... But they did get rid of the guy who's probably a, an accountant who got dragged into the end zone by Felix. I still think about that guy sometimes. Yeah, I wonder what he, I wonder what he's up to. He's, like I said, probably an accountant. <laughs> but that is their offense. Now we can talk a little bit about their defense, where their defense is their number one game remains to be speed and aggression. Get everyone up to full momentum, whether it be defensives, uh, defensive backs running backwards or everyone else running forward. Uh, on passing plays, they're blitzing 37% of the time, and they also want to confuse you as much as possible by throwing like 87 different looks at you, 
which sometimes gives the appearance that they're blitzing, because I don't believe PFF qualifies you as blitzing unless you're sending more than four. Uh, Texas Tech is pretty consistently sending four. You just don't know where number four is coming from. Um, and they also stunt quite a lot, mostly with nose tackles and edge players going over them, trying to generate a lot of pressure and while still having the uh, nose tackles play contain. Uh, Will's not exactly, you know, a spring chicken when it comes to, <laughs> to mobility. So I don't think the contain part is particularly relevant. But... <laughs> Um, Connor, do you want to talk about personnel or do you want to talk about the interior defensive line? I'll talk about personnel here. Um, they really want to be multiple on defense uh, rather than just a 3 3 5, uh, which is completely understandable. Uh, they want to run a lot of different fronts, they want to run a lot of different personnel. Uh, sometimes they're going to run a cub, sometimes uh, they're an over, uh, which this helps out their blitzes a lot. Uh, because generally you're not going to be able to predict where the pressure is coming from at any given point, uh, which is a big advantage for Texas Tech. That uh, it's one of the big advantages of multiple is you can line up in several different ways and you can be more creative with uh, the directions uh, of your blitzing, uh, and you can mix in a few more personnel as well. Uh, and then in coverages, um, there's not really one coverage that they prefer over any other it seems like uh, they're just going to go out and they're going to run a little bit of everything is mostly what they're going to do. Yep. Now we can talk about their interior defensive line, which is same two guys from last year. It's uh, Tony Bradford and then Jalen Hutchings. Uh, they haven't changed. They've really not changed at all, actually. Bradford, he's still good at flowing alongside the play, carried over from last year. That's his biggest and best trait. Uh, he just doesn't have the very strong punch. He's not overly quick. Uh, and he's also just kind of someone who throws his body at the line, which if he's going up against someone smaller than him has worked really well. He is averaging about a hurry a game, um, but he's only gotten two QB hits and one sack, and the sack was up against Houston. So not exactly, you know, the powerhouse there. <laughs> But, you know, he's a perfectly fine um, interior defensive lineman, and he's graded out that way, uh, 65.5 total grade, uh, 71.9 in the pass rush, though, And but granted, that's being carried by two good games against Tarleton and then Houston, so again, not exactly the greatest level of competition there. And then his battery mate, although they do rotate a lot at this position, uh, would be Jalen Hutchings, number 95. He is six foot 305. Uh, he's strong enough to reverse leverage and play well in the zone running game. And he has a really, really good swim move he can use if you give him half your body. And since last year, he's developed a bull rush, which was like the one thing that he was missing <laughs> as a, like a pass rushing nose tackle was a bull rush. Uh, he still doesn't load up and punch, but he's just relentless and keeps pushing you back until he can eventually reach through you uh, to get the sack. So he's more a relentless pass rusher than he is like an instant win guy, which, I mean, considering the fact that he's been at Texas Tech since like the, uh, the Obama administration, that's perfectly, it's 2018. Um, I know, I know that's not when it started, but 
Um, he's another example of someone who's solid. I think PFF has actually slightly underrated him. Uh, he's gotten eight total hurries on the air, three sacks. I think it's actually two and a half, uh, but one quarterback hit as well. So he's a solid defensive tackle, uh, probably a little bit underrated, but neither of these guys, I think, are world beaters. I think that they're just really solid. They're better than the unit we faced last week. Do with that information what you will. Connor, you have the edge players. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the biggest note on the edge rushers for Tech is more so who they do not have anymore, and that's uh, losing Tyree Wilson to the NFL draft. He was drafted in the first round to the Raiders. Uh, that is a massive, massive loss for Texas Tech. There's no way to get around that. He changed everything about their pass rush last year and was able to do things that a majority of pass rushers in the country could not do simply by virtue of being like six foot six and being able to move the way he did. Uh, now, it's not to say that they're an awful unit now. They still have some solid players as well. Uh, they have Miles Cole, who is similarly sized. He's six foot six, 280 pounds, uh, although he does not have the speed that Tyree Wilson had. Tyree Wilson was incredibly explosive. Miles Cole is decidedly the opposite. He uh, lacks explosiveness in every imaginable way. Uh, he's just not a fast player. Uh, he tries to be a uh, bit of a finesse rusher, um, which is not pairing very well with his speed. And he really wants to undo a Daniil Hunter slash Nate Matlick ice pick spin uh and that hasn't really worked well for him um, as a finishing move to get around a tackle uh, he's been fine but he's generally just been all right this year uh he's listed as above average uh on pff that's probably fair maybe a little lower but getting about yeah. a hurry a game yeah and uh, he's got he's listed with four sacks uh, on the on the season right now, 15 total pressures. But again, a lot of those are coming against the weaker opponents: uh, Wyoming, Tarleton, Houston, Baylor. Uh, he, when faced with better competition, he has struggled. Um, but he's still not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. He's someone to reckon with still. Uh, the next, I uh, have Steve Linton, uh, who, while he's about as tall, he's nowhere near as big as uh, Miles Cole. He's 6'5", 235. Uh, just had an absolutely fantastic day uh, against a Baylor. Graded out as a 95 uh, with a 93.4 in the pass rush with uh, three sacks uh, and just 17 total snaps as well, which is pretty unbelievable. And he paired that with five quarterback hurries as well, so he was living in the backfield. And he now has three total sacks on the year. So he was not doing as well in the early games. But he does have 12 hurries, a uh, total of 15 pressures on the season. Uh, so that is pretty solid, although he has been pretty much feast or famine. Uh, he has uh, three games with four or more pressures, and then he has the three other games with a single combined pressure uh, amongst Oregon, Tarleton, uh, West Virginia. So... Feast or Famine is the name of the game for Steve Linton. Uh, he really wants to long-arm you as an edge rusher, 
that's about it, really. Uh, so um, he'll be more successful against uh, short, shorter-armed tackles. If he's going up against Christian Duffy, I wish him luck. Because uh, Duffy does have pretty ar- pretty long arms. So uh, Steve Linton, uh, he's not the best at staying square or holding the uh, as a force player and run support. Uh, if he's the read option guy... Um, or he's on RPO plays. If he's the read player, he uh, will try to be patient, but it's more of an active. It's a choice. Yeah, yeah he's he's not like instinctually being patient. Like from practice, he's having to actively force himself to not go hit something close to him. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like um a dog with a treat on their nose and telling them to sit and they and telling them not to move uh, that is steve linton in those situations yeah and then lastly is joseph adidare i believe it is pronounced yeah so uh joseph adidare uh the last guy 6'3 265 uh been in texas tech a couple of years now he's been playing for a couple of years i should say um only uh, four total pressures on the year, which is a little low for an edge rusher. Uh, and uh, he did miss a game. He did miss the Tarleton game. Uh, but still, four is exceptionally low uh, for a, uh, a pass rusher. Uh, he's, though, that is part of that is coming from him being a more hybrid player that is going to play more edge and linebacker. So he's not necessarily at home and he's learning a lot of different things all at once so that's going to just going to make things inherently more difficult for him Um, he was a more traditional linebacker last year um and they're trying to get him to be tyree wilson he's not really tyree wilson because very few people are tyree wilson uh but he's doing okay um just not in terms of pressures he's not registering many pressures and he's not had He's only had one game all year with multiple pressures, and that was the first game of the year, and that was two. Uh, so he's a good force in the run game, uh, and he's learning the position well enough. It just hasn't really translated to much in terms of pressures as of yet, although he is still doing all right in some of his more hybrid duties. He's been fine enough in coverage. Uh, pass rushing and tackling hasn't been there, but his run defense has been pretty good this year. So... There's a, a, a still a steep learning curve for him, but he's starting to figure it out. Yep. Then you got their two linebackers, Ben Roberts, the redshirt freshman, and then Josiah Pierre. Uh, ben Roberts, number 13, 6'3", 230. He's sort of been the surprise story um, of this team because I believe he started as a walk-on, but he's just been insane. Like He's been really good. As a uh, redshirt freshman, his biggest problem is that he is young and he's still a redshirt freshman. That means he's not going to be a quick diagnoser of the offense. And because of that, he's just going to get caught in neutral space. Uh, and he's just not really fast enough as a blitzer. Uh, he's not like the greatest athlete in the world. What he is, is he might well be one of the most consistent and good tacklers in the entirety of the Big 12. Which I don't say lightly. <laughs> he legitimately may be one of the best tackling linebackers in the entirety of the league. Um, and really his only downside is the fact he's young and he takes a second to diagnose. And that's it. 
he other than that, he's one of the best defenders on the entire squad. And, you know, that also explains why his coverage grade's a little low, because he's still working on developing those coverage instincts. But as a true middle linebacker, you're not going to complain if you have Ben Roberts on your team, especially with an 83.1 run defense grade and an 83 tackling grade. You're not going to beat him. Like, if he gets your hands on you, I'm sorry, you're going down. Like, the only hope you have is to try and get him out of position and get him in a bad angle and make him miss. That's your only hope. <laughs> but on the other side, next to him, the other Mike linebacker, well linebacker, Texas Tech's defense is weird, is uh, Josiah Pierre. Uh, he just wants to backdoor everything, which makes a lot of sense given his past as a former edge rusher. Uh, he played a lot of edge during his previous years at Texas Tech for making the move to off-ball line- linebacker, which really confused me why they moved uh, at ear or Eddie Dyer, uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce that name correctly, <laughs> and uh, Pierre, because they both sort of just flipped positions. I mean, it's working out for Pierre. Um, he's just barely fast enough to make the, the backdooring work for himself, and you can kind of tell he's playing out of position, but despite this fact, it's actually sort of working for him because he's another brilliant run defender who just tackles everyone in his sights, <laughs> which, again... You take those. <laughs> but the, again, biggest problem with the entire linebacking room is coverage. If they get their hands on you, you're going down. Sorry, there's nothing you can really do about that. Um, it's just them in coverage is brutal, but they're really, really good in run defense. Which, for a team like K-State that really would rather develop the run so that they can build off the pass, may be slightly problematic. But, Connor, you have arguably the most improved room from the previous year, and that is the corner room, led by their two very strong outside corners. Yep, so first one is Malik Dunlap. Uh, Very big for a corner. Uh, About the same height as Julius Brents, but actually weighs more. He's 6'3", 220. Uh, He's had a couple of really fantastic games. This year in coverage, uh, Tarleton and West Virginia. Uh, not as great the last two games uh, against Houston and Baylor. Uh, but he's very experienced. Uh, he spent two years at NC State, and he spent the last three at Texas Tech. Uh, he's having by far his best season of his career this year, uh, grading out an 81.9 overall, and his coverage grades an 84.5. Uh, so really, really good. Uh, and a, a drastic step up from how he was last year as well. Uh, so uh, he's, despite the size comparisons to Julius Brents, in terms of his play, he's probably similar to Justin Gardner, who was a K-State cornerback in 2020 and 2021, I believe. Uh, his recovery speed um, at, as a corner uh, is what makes him most similar to Justin Gardner. He gets beat just enough to throw to, but not enough to get many positive results from. Uh, that was kind of Justin Gardner's game, was he's always getting beat, but he recovered really, really well. And so he was able to bait a lot of pass breakups and a couple of interceptions from that. Uh, so he's developed um, a bit more physicality to his game as well since last year, which is evident uh, at his tackling grades. Uh, he went from, He's made a nearly 40-point jump 
and his PFF tackling grades since last year. Last year, 34.7. This year, 73.1, uh, which is absolutely nuts. Uh, and he's uh, going to try and work the sideline um, if he's able to. Uh, but he's um, also kind of grabbing on uh, to receivers during their end-breaking routes, uh, but not too much. Uh, he, he's pretty good at uh, getting away with it. Uh, and then he's... Um, just a really, really good cover corner. He's going to be the guy that's going to get picks for them. He's generally their best cover guy. And it's uh, no disrespect to the other corners. It's just that he's Malik Dunlap. is just a really good cornerback. Yeah, Malik Dunlap is what happens if you put Josh Newton, Julius Branson, Justin Gardner in a blender. That's a nightmare (laughs) to throw against. But their other corner isn't as great. Yeah, again, despite pretty similar size, you can easily look at that and just write it off. Uh, Rashad Williams, uh, 6'3", 215. Very similar size, but that's where most of the comparisons stop. He's definitely not as good um, as his uh, counterpart, Malik Dunlap. Uh Another very experienced guy is in his sixth year of college football this year. Played three years at UCLA, and then he transferred to Texas Tech, uh, where he spent the last three years. Uh, and has mostly been the same player, um, at least on PFF grades, for the majority of his career. And uh, that's been slightly above average, uh, at least as PFF grades go. Uh, which... Uh, his biggest issue, though, as a player, is that he's very willing to let people get in his blind spot. Uh, and he also doesn't have the best press stab, uh, so he's not really disrupting releases or the timing of wide receivers particularly well. And he's opening his hips a little earlier than you would like. Uh, he really does not want to be beat vertically, which is understandable. I wouldn't want to be either if I were a corner <laughs> But it's also possible to get beat over the middle, so he he isn't he's sacrificing some of that uh, midfield agility and ability to move laterally with a receiver uh, in order to prevent getting absolutely toasted. Yeah. Final room on the defense is their safeties, led by Dadrian Taylor Demerson, number one, Tyler Owens, number eighteen, and then C.J. Baskerville, number nine. In terms of Taylor Demerson, he's been another staple of this Tech defense for quite a while now. Been there for five years. Uh, they have him marked as a free safety now. Eh, like He can play just about anywhere, um, but uh, he's just not. Uh, he's been okay in generally everything. He has a tendency to go for a hit and then wrap up uh, to mixed results. Um, he he generally helps make the tackle, even if he's not the person to finally finish them off. Pause. Uh, despite his ability as a strong safety, he rotates a lot between there and free safety, so he's kind of playing a little bit of everywhere in the defensive backfield. The weird thing with Taylor Demerson is he's static. Like, he's weirdly static in coverage. He isn't moving himself with the quarterback's eyes. He's just sort of sitting in the middle of his zone waiting for the throw to happen before moving, which is such a weird way to play safety. But I guess that means you don't get manipulated by the quarterback's eyes. If you're looking for an upside, there it is, I guess. But uh, he's just 
He's allowing an 88.4 in terms of uh, passer rating against, and he's played 214 snaps at free safety, 95 in the slot, 53 in the box. So technically, yeah, he is uh, technically their free safety, but they sort of rotate everyone everywhere. Uh, Taylor Demerson's solid player, 70.8 defensive grade. He's fine. Um, he's a perfectly fine safety. Tyler Owens, uh, he is a Texas transfer, if you believe it or not. And he's mostly been playing, well, strong safety. <laughs> um, more slot, more strong safety, just because of how the three safety defense works. The uh, 6'2", 210, uh, and just like uh, Taylor Demerson, yeah, as a wrap-up rack up, wrap up tackler, he's a bit to beat his iron, but he's also really good at squaring up hits, so it almost doesn't matter. Uh, but generally, he's fine and inoffensive, generally doesn't gets in decent enough position in coverage. But you'll notice that, well, I'll, I'll point out the theme at the very end here, and that's with uh, C.J. Baskerville, who's a transfer from San Diego State. Uh, he's the enforcer of the group is how I would describe him. Uh, in terms of hits, he wants to get the last word, whether it means he knocked you out during the play or he's bumping you a little bit after the play, just to remind you he's there. Um, his biggest problem is that he's just stiff. Like he's really stiff in coverage. He's bordering on liability coverage when he's in true man, which is so strange given his high coverage grades. But I also think he's getting away with a lot of holding calls because he's grabbing on for dear life of, of the shoulder of, uh, of whoever he's covering. But his tackling grade is ridiculous at 90.4. Uh, coverage grade is just a little bit above average at 68.4. But their safeties, the theme here, they're all really good at tackling. They're all not very good at vertical coverage. Or they're, like, they have one weird big coverage flaw. So if I had to pick a room on this defense to sort of pick on, it would probably be the safeties especially with how they want to do their safety rotations, things like that. You could probably do a lot of motion and get Baskerville on, say, I don't know, Baskerville on Phil. Oh, that physicality may not match. Baskerville on Senate and just sort of see what, see what happens there. But now we can talk about the stories going into this game. And uh, first and foremost... K-State take a breath from last week and shake away, shake the away game losing streak after not winning a game this year, despite the fact that Lubbock is not an easy place to play. Um, I'll be positive and say yes. Uh, I, I think that climate teams historically have uh, been able to really bounce back after a loss. I prefer they not have to lose to be able to play really high-level football. But I, the record does not lie. He has rarely, especially since his first two seasons, lost uh, multiple games in a row. So I'm hopeful that we're able to really, to do, really do that and take a breath and uh, shake away this losing streak because uh, – uh, or at least the away game losing streak uh, – just get the first away game win off the board uh, and play with a bit more swagger this time. Uh, the team last year, uh, they really seemed to enjoy being on the road. 
and kind of having to play villains this year they've not really wanted to do that as much which is interesting uh, i'm not sure what's changed there uh culturally but um i'll be positive and say yes that they do win yep. uh, so next one is uh uh, Casey has their backs to the wall in terms of what their ambitions were uh, this year, which is a return to Arlington. So does this motivate them or shake their confidence going into Lubbock? I sort of talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but they were in a somewhat similar position last year, albeit later on in the season. Lost a non-con game, uh, lost a conference game, and backs were truly up against the wall at that point. And I think that's honestly when they played their best football. I think at this point, the fact that their backs are up against the wall will sort of force them to stop listening to, oh, you're the like you were you were last year's Big 12 champions. They're quickly finding out that no one cares. <laughs> no one cares about that fact. But I, I think that being up against the wall is actually going to motivate them because I don't think that this is the team that's going to let themselves get rattled very easily for more than one game at a time. Granted... Against Oklahoma State, they look shell shocked. <laughs> you have any thoughts? No, I don't. Okay. You, you summed up everything I was going to say. <laughs> Next question Does Klein try to implement more of a quick game against another team that has a sort of preference for off coverage? I really hope so because there was not much of a quick game uh, last week at all. Uh, we were really just trying to go intermediate and deep the entire game didn't really adjust so i'm hoping that we're willing to um, have a bit more of a diverse uh, passing attack uh, and attack all three levels of the defense uh, one way or another because uh i i get that you know the the quick game sometimes can uh uh not work the way that you want it to but we need to at least be trying it a little bit more and get a few uh, short gains here and there if nothing else have helped build confidence uh, but I, I'm really hopeful that Klein will uh, work with a, a quick game in this I agree I, I think the second to last question may be the most important Yeah, which is uh, does this team get its swagger back I feel like they are one massive Kobe Savage hit away from being fully like awoken from last week because last week they definitively did not have their swagger no not um, at all and you could argue that they haven't had it this entire year i think that this almost has to be the game where they get their swagger back it's almost a sort of now or never situation because this is a pendulum game for both teams whoever loses this game very likely sees their dreams of arlington die um and neither side wants to do that. <laughs> so I think K-State has to get its swagger back if they want to win and continue on. Yeah, I agree. I have no idea if they will, but I do think they have to. Uh, and yeah, this game is really going to it's going to be huge for the rest of the year and how we should set our expectations. Yep. And then lastly, can the Cats punish Morton's overly aggressive nature? The fact that he's young, they absolutely can. Um, and I think that if we're going to have a week where we get multiple interceptions, this would be the week. Yeah, I I agree. Um, if 
we aren't able to punish him for being overly aggressive, then that means Morton got really lucky. More, more than likely, either that or uh, we sustain even more injuries in the defensive backfield, which shouldn't be an issue, hopefully. Knocking on wood here. Uh, uh, Jacob Parrish is expected to be back. Uh, Will Lee not expected to be back this week. Um, but we should be mostly healthy for the most part. And hopefully having our most of our one line of the uh, defensive backs is going to be helpful there. Yep. Now we're getting into projected defense, offensive and defensive MVPs. I'm going to go Ben Sinnott and Kobe Savage. Yeah, offense I'm rolling with DJ Giddens, and defense I'm rolling with Marquis Siegel. Because yeah, Siegel is massively improved. Yes, yeah, so yeah, so he's really had a big last two games, uh, all things considered. Uh, and really against Oklahoma State, he was one of the better players uh, on the field uh, the entire day for K-State. Now it comes time for score projections. One thing I will say, this game is a coin flip. Uh, and it's a coin flip based off of other two coin flips to completely recycle what I told you maybe five hours ago, Connor. <laughs> uh, the first coin flip is, you know, obviously win and loss. The second coin flip is Baron Morton <laughs> being, do we get West Virginia Baron Morton? Or do we get Baylor Baylor Morton? Baron. Morton. I will never call him by his correct first name, apparently. And then the second coin flip is, you know, does the defense for Texas Tech start getting more pressure with their blitz schemes? Um, depending on how those three, how those last two coin flips go, I, I think those two determine the game. I'm going to say that the Cats barely eke out a victory where we are never particularly comfortable. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and I think that this is going to be one of those games that may be a little chippy because both squads are fighting for their lives, basically. Uh, I have it as a 35-31 to 31 Cats victory. Uh, I have K-State winning 31-28. to 28. It's whoever wants it more. I just have to hope that it's us. Yeah, huge, huge game. Both teams will be super motivated. I, I do agree with you. Uh, obviously, uh, I think the game is going to be pretty close. Hopefully, K State is able to pull it out, though, because if they don't, it could be a very rough season. Yeah, so let's hope it doesn't come to that. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I don't. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact us, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville ACATS. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Balthazar, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in the Twitter bio and the podcast description. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.